Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance. And for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us and God is in our truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Good morning and welcome to Zero Today. I'm your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to bring you, present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, <laughs> empowerment, and liberation. <laughs> I'm laughing because uh, I can't even get through my intro. <laughs> I made the mistake of bringing my puppy into the studio again, and he's so curious, he's just finding everything and chewing on everything. Gotta love him. I love him. He's keeping me company. But he's interrupting my show. Anyway, <laughs> we're promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming. And the goal of us, our show Zero today, is empower you, the listener, to knowing, being, doing, and impacting the world around you. And we always, we invite you to join us on this illuminating journey by calling. Uh, one way you can do it is calling the line 347-237-5230. Uh, you can join us in the chat room. And um looks like we'll have the chat running up in a little bit. So you can join the chat room. Drop us an email at PastorLorenzoNeal at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter. Facebook page. Look on the Facebook page. Uh, subscribe. Join. Like. Whatever they call it doing now. Like the Facebook page. And um, hey, Skype. However you want to get in touch with us, we are here for you. And we just want to say thank you. Good morning, USA. Good morning, everybody out there. We're glad to uh we're glad to be back. Last week we were unable to host the show. We were in uh our annual church convocation. And I tell you, you gotta love church meetings. I <laughs> it's something about church meetings that just uh, that, uh Part of you makes you want to leave all together. The other part makes you rejoice that God is such a wonderful God of order and not chaos. But I can tell you, it can put you to the test. It really does. Uh, so, But we're glad to be here today. We're glad for another time to broadcast Zero today. And we're looking to a very uh, great show. We have a, we'll be joining with us author and um, Alice Patterson. She's the author of Bridging the, Bridging, uh, the Racial and Political Divide. 
Godly Politics Can Transform a Nation. She's also the founder of Justice in the Gates, Justice at the Gate, San Antonio, Texas. Uh, it's an institution that's um, devoted to um, rest, restoration and reconciliation and empowering um, God's people uh, through educating them. And it's a wonderful, uh, wonderful organization, a wonderful person. And she'll be joining us in uh, about the middle of the hour. Um, and we'll be discussing points of a book. We'll be discussing some other things that's been making headlights, headlines, headlights, headlines, and the media today regarding race, politics, and faith. And we're going to talk about that because that, you know, that is one interesting dilemma in the country today. Uh, and I don't want to get ahead of myself because, you know, <laughs> like I said, so much, so much uh, underpinning that. And I guess. I might as well go ahead and segue into the uh, first part of this commentary, uh, talking about a couple of things that have been making headlines. Uh, one being uh, Mitt Romney's comments at a private fundraiser, a private uh, uh, meeting that have been making headlines and, of course, putting a sour taste on the American public, uh, the general American public, thanks to, thanks to our nice media, among other things. But also... Uh, uh, couple other things. We're going to talk about that. And then the other thing that I really want to talk about, and uh, we'll get into this, um, uh, there's new discovery of uh, papyrus that's, that alludes to Jesus having to, may have been married. And, you know, that has, I've gotten a lot of phone calls about that. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And toward the uh, middle of the hour, we'll have our guest, uh, Alice uh, Patterson. Maybe, well, you can take that long. Y'all know I like to hear my voice, <laughs> sound of my own voice. But we we will be discussing those two topics. Uh, so let's let's go ahead and get into uh, let's get into this Mitt Romney thing. Um, now I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm not a Mitt Romney fan. I never really have been a Mitt Romney fan or supporter. Um, you know, you have the higher ups in some parties determining who would be what, who would be the front runner, and and. Uh, He's the front runner, and now he's the um, the uh, nominee, and he has not he has not done a good job of uh, <laughs> presenting himself as president of the people. Matter of fact, he's done a probably done more to kind of disassociate himself from the people, uh, and uh, make some people appear disenfranchised. And he did that with his statement that he made uh, over the weekend regarding. Um, Forty-seven percent of the American population who received some form of government assistance, and he called those people dependent on the government, and he called, you know, basically, he, you know, he said they're they're depending on the president, you know, their welfare state, you know, to be a welfare state, and I have two problems, uh, two problems with that, uh, with that statement. First, primary problem that I have. Is the fact that um, anytime you, anytime a person speaks about welfare or uh, entitlement programs or government dependency, the first picture that comes up are minorities. I I, I know people don't want to go there, and I know people don't want to think that. But when you think about welfare, unfortunately, the imagery that comes up is not. A positive image, you know. Uh, it's usually, you know, 
those persons of color or ethnic minorities who live in assisted housing, you know, government housing, or receive and uh, the biggest thing, and I hear this on Fox News all the time about food stamps and what so you know what not. Well, and, you know, the average the average person, non-person of color, would assume that this, you know, because one the president his color is that those persons who are who are plotting and um, the meaning Romney on this statement are those persons of color, you know, I'm, you know, those persons who are seemingly more likely to benefit from such programs, but they don't think about Medicaid, Medicare, and the elderly, um, disabled, disabled veterans, um, and things uh, others that I could go on and go on that receive federal assistance or corporations that receive. Uh, because corporations, by law, are considered persons, and when they receive uh, federal tax subsidies, that's government assistance. Or even those wealthy who who Obama is um, describes as uh, making two hundred thousand, two hundred fifty thousand dollars or more. Well, sometimes when they itemize their deductions on their taxes, uh, they end up paying nothing. You know, they end up <laughs> getting refunds. Uh, you, you understand? Uh, so. So, and I know it was a slip of the tongue, and uh, understanding the audience that he was addressing, um, I, I could see why he's trying to pander to that that rhetoric, using that rhetoric to pander to that audience. Uh, because one, you're talking about uh, fiscal donations, you're talking about a battle for the identity of of country, uh, and, and what's happening is more and more people, you know, non minority people are, are starting to feel a bit isolated, disenfranchised, um, and you notice that with the, uh, the with the evolution of the Tea Party, and I was in several Tea Party uh, rallies, and uh, I never got fully involved in them, but. Um, of course, I was always recognized because I'd be one or two or three uh, <laughs> persons of color at the entire, you know, out of the hundreds. <laughs> you know, it's only two or three. <laughs> it reminds me of when we uh, had my friends who went to the Republican National Convention, and they were having uh, – <laughs> they were counting the number of blacks or, or minorities who were there in attendance as <laughs> as – and then comparing that to the uh, Democratic National Convention and what seemed like to be a plethora of uh, colors, <laughs> you know, and it, <laughs> it always makes me laugh. But anyway, I digress. To um, that's that's the first assumption that most people had. The first assumption was that when Romney was talking in such 47 percent. Um, just about half of the country, he's automatically alienating and disenfranchising people of color. So, you know, of course, the black media has jumped all over this, and um, several persons, um, I, uh, Roland Martin, um, Perry, a, a lot of other persons have spoken and addressed this. And I understand, you know, I, I fully understand where they're coming from. I mean, you, you can't help it, but to assume that he, he he doesn't really fully identify, you know he's a multimillionaire, but so is Obama and Michelle Barack. There, multimillionaires also. Bill Clinton, multimillionaire, <laughs> ten times over, uh, you, you know. But they give the appearance of 
being able to connect and empathize, not just sympathize, but empathize with these persons who seem to be disenfranchised, not by government, but by the wealthy. And let's let's think about this. This week was the one-year anniversary of the Occupy Wall Street movement. And you see how quickly that movement fizzled out. And I read several articles and I, uh, as to why it fizzled, fizzled out. Of course, you know, they began to – every seem, seemingly ill, <laughs> you know, they wanted to – they tried to address. And, 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 you know, people – last year, people were – the media – not people, but the media were uh, attempting to compare that movement to the Tea Party Tea Party movement. And here's the thing about the Tea the Tea Party movement hasn't fizzled out. Matter of fact, it's probably gotten much stronger because uh, it's elected persons. You know, it has people represented representing its um, coalition, its um, caucus in Congress. So it hasn't fizzled out, and. Uh, it has influenced a wide array of uh, political action and social action uh, and, and 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 candidates, whereas the Occupy Wall Street movement was just a bunch of kids, mostly, and people who felt disenfranchised because they, they weren't getting their way or being recognized in some capacity. And one way or another, it fizzled out. They had no structure. They had no center ideal. They had just a bunch of, you know, stuff. And, and think about it. While they were rallying and sitting in, uh, they incited police and there was riots and, you know, stuff like that. And you look at the Tea Party ri- uh, rallies and there was they were peaceful. They were organized. There were speakers who had meaningful things to address and not just doing pompous rants over senseless ideals. Uh, so – but you know that's the way things went. That's the way it was. But hey, uh, so Romney, I hope Romney learns from what he said. Uh, I, I do admire the fact that he's sticking to his what he's saying, and again, understanding what he says how, and, and uh, the idea behind what he said makes a lot of sense. Uh, could it have been said better? Yes, of course it could have been said better. But what do we know? You know, <laughs> we don't know anything. We're just voters who need need them to tell us what to think. And how to think, but anyway, uh, we'll see how it affects. Uh, as the last poll that I watched, um, Obama had a uh, five or six point lead over Romney in major swing states. And for those of us in the African American community, especially us pastors, um, it is a critical issue because we're trying to we're trying we have we have this this uh, dilemma of. Whether to fully withdraw, of course, I, I don't have that dilemma. But uh, some of my um, some of my um, co-laborers in the gospel ministry have this dilemma of whether choosing to support uh, President Obama, uh, even though his social his stance on social issues completely contradicts that which we uh, as was which most African Americans believe, and of course most pastors support. That is the uh, same-sex marriage, abortion, uh, those issues, women, what people are saying, you know, war on women, things of that nature, abortion. Um, we, we, you know, some some of my my uh, my co-laborers are having difficulty in that trying to make that decision. I don't have that difficulty, you know. And, and, and then there's this the dilemma where people, you know, some pastors are telling their pastors, black pastors are telling their people not to vote. Now, I'm, I'm never going to go that far and tell them not to vote. Uh, you can abstain from voting 
for for the president if you choose to do so. But you know, vote, get out, and if you're not registered, you still have. I believe you have to October the sixth to register and get out to vote, and let your vote know. You know, get out there. It's important. This is a very critical election. It's not as critical. As, as some people are, you know, all these gloom and doom on both sides, what will happen if Romney gets elected, what will happen if Obama gets reelected. Uh, you know, these those are predictors, you know. Uh, things can change. God is in control, and God has given people the ability to make sound decisions. Um, but, uh, I mean, if we abstain, we're only defeating ourselves. So that's my rant for that. Uh <laughs> I'm gonna I'm move on to this this next section. Uh, question, uh, question. Um, the next topic: Was Jesus married? You know that that sounds fun. Um, I'd like to hear your thoughts about that. If you don't want to call in and talk about that, it, that that's wonderful. Either was the topic on Romney or Jesus married. Yeah, talk about that. That's that's fun. But uh, you know, uh, I'm I'm no scholar. Uh, you know, I'm educated and I understand ancient ancient writings uh, as they as they go regarding um some texts and and this uh this author presented um found a text um that said uh where well, it read and Jesus said to them, My wife um and this this text is a Coptic text, um, uh, ancient uh, papyrus that was discovered. Uh, well, actually, wasn't discovered. It would been in the hand of a collector for 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 many years, for some time, and and they decided to the collector decided to let a scholar um, investigate it. Uh, you know, to see. See what it was, if not. And uh, now, the, here's the controversy. Here's here's the thing: the text, in and of itself, the papyrus, is dated back to at least the fourth century, which means um, that it's right about the time uh, that the Christianity became legalized in that same that same century. Um, and what is that? I pulled up an article and I tell you there we go. All right. So excuse that. When I'm you know, pulling up an article to read this to make sure I get this right. But this is from ABC uh this is from abcnews.com and um it's written in Coptic language, which uh, this is an ancient language. Um um and the um professor who the person who who um transliterated it uh Dr. Uh, Karen King who's professor at Howard, Harvard University uh she's of course excited and enthused about it but the question is what what how will it affect the christian faith how would how will it actually affect the christian faith uh, because um the, someone was asking well if uh, Jesus was married what does that mean um to me, absolutely nothing. Actually, 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 make him more credible, make him more human. Uh, 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 now, the text it says that she shall be my disciple. Well, Scripture is clear that Christ had female disciples, so that wasn't. I mean, you know, 
the twelve named disciples were his most trusted, uh, but they were not his only ones. If you look in Luke 10, you know, he sent out 70 disciples, and they went and did their thing and gave them the same authority that he gave the twelve. He had given the twelve. And, uh, of course, at the tomb, you, you you have to assume that Mary, all the Marys who were at the tomb were also disciples. Not only were they, you know, they had to be a disciple, they followed him everywhere, you know. They listened to his teachings, and and they in cases in uh, Martha and Mary, uh, the sisters of Lazarus, they housed him, and you know, provided for. So I I don't think that was you know I I honestly don't think it, it will do any harm to the Christian faith at all. I think it's actually more relevant. Um, but you know, um, that's just me. It would it wouldn't have. But I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. What would you say about that? Uh, uh, do you think that if Jesus was married, that would uh, take away from his divinity? I, I don't think so. Um, I don't think it would take away from his divinity at all, uh, largely because God did create uh, Adam and Eve to be married. And in doing so, he sanctioned that. Um, and if we believe, as as we say, we believe that uh, he was the fulfillment of the law and that he was the fulfillment of um, that he uh, through sin by one man came sin and death and through one man came um, eternal life then we can it was still fit, fit within the restraints of God's purpose but uh I got to take a quick break. I've been I've been talking for a while. So, we're going to take this quick break and when we come back on the flip side, we'll continue the discussion and we'll have with us our spe- very special guest Alice Patterson and we'll be talking to uh uh, uh racism, race, politics and faith. So, we'll be back right after this. card at CapitalOne.com and start earning double. What's in your wallet? Can you play games on that? Not on the runway. Connection, messy. 
The Game of Life with the Prius C, a high-stakes world where some descend into total loserdom while others triumphantly return home to their Tudor houses. The real game of life is no more forgiving, but luckily you're ready to grab it by the throat and jujitsu it into submission. And with all the important things to do and places to go, you're going to need a game piece that will move you to the next level. That car, my friends, is the all-new 53-mile-per-gallon rated Prius C from Toyota. It was the best day. It was the best day. And the great outdoors. We make a great pair. Right. Totally. Uh, that's what I was thinking. All kinds of vehicles, all kinds of savings. Multi-policy discounts from Progressive. Call or click today. Good morning, freedom. Hello, adventure. Today is yours. To find your can-do spirit will do strength to chart new paths and rediscover old ones capability has found its versatility making all days and all terrains equal go ahead raise your hands lower your foot make pursuit of the unexpected unrelenting. Today is yours to go find your power and where you'll find it is within. Good afternoon. Good morning. Oh, man. Well, I don't even know what time of day it is anymore. <laughs> Whatever time of day it is, hello and welcome back to Zero as a Day again. Your good host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Glad to be in the land of living. One more day. Glad to be here. And I, I felt to pray before before I got um, went into the show. So if you allow me just for a moment to say a little word of prayer, then uh, uh, our guest is, is on the line. She's been waiting, and we're going to get in, uh, start with our conversation on this segment. And uh, have a blast, okay? So let's just let me go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just want to say thank you again for the day. Praise you for your grace and your mercy. Everything that's new and compassion has failed not. Bless the rest of the show, uh, the guests, the callers, the listeners, all who will be participating. In Christ's name, amen. All right, now I got that out of the way. I think I feel a little better. <laughs> uh, before the break, we were talking about this, um, is Jesus married uh, question and I didn't spend a lot of time on it because I I want to make sure that I had some time uh, with my guest Alice Patterson and um, so maybe we get into discussion a little bit about that among other things but um, I'm glad to have today uh, on my show with me uh, 
Alice Patterson. She's author of Bridging the uh, Racial and Political Divide. She's also founder of Justice at the Gate, uh, Ministry of Reconciliation um, in San Antonio, Texas. And uh, Alice, are you there? I'm here. Good morning, Pastor Neal. Good morning. Uh, you got to excuse me. I didn't have my coffee this morning. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I, I want to say, first of all, thank you for uh, accepting the invitation to come on the show. And um, we met at a leaders summit, uh, um, African-American Leaders uh, for Life Summit in Dallas, Texas, at um, uh, um, Oak Cliff Bible. From the Evans had- Church. Yeah, Tony yeah. Evans. Okay. I, yes. I tell you, I have not had my my medicine, and my puppy is running around and getting <laughs> distracted. So I'm just lost today. Uh, no, but we had the chance of meeting, and of course, um, um, uh, through uh, Dean Nelson and um, CareNet organization, which is a wonderful organization that I'm proud to be a part of as a life ambassador. And uh, I, I should do more. I'm gonna get Dean on the show eventually. But um, um, you were there, and you were able to share. With us, and uh, uh, I'm not sure familiar if you uh, are you a part of the Frederick Douglass Foundation. Yes, I am. Oh, I am. Okay. Great. Then we can talk a little bit about that. But um, first, uh, first and foremost, uh, won't you give my listeners a little more about your background and how you got where you are, and then we'll get into uh, your organization, your book, and the topic that we'll be talking about. So just share a little bit about yourself, if you don't mind. Well, I'm married uh, 45 years, have two sons, age 43 and 40, grew up in the panhandle of Texas in a small town called Earth, population 1,087, and now we have got to move to the promised land without having to die in San Antonio. And uh, it's really a wonderful place. We go to a primarily Hispanic church there, and... um, I grew up knowing that my grandfather was a member of the Ku Klux Klan, but I didn't really know what it meant. I thought it I honestly thought it was like being a member of a volunteer sheriff's department, somebody who kept the law. Wow. And it wasn't until I was actually field director for Texas Christian Coalition in the early 90s, I went to the Rio Grande Valley for the first time, which is on the border of Mexico. And ask the Lord to show me how to reach Hispanics because I knew that Hispanics are primarily Catholic and, and those that are evangelical have the roots of being very family-minded, being pro-life and uh, pro-traditional marriage. And so I saw them as the target of my organization where I wrongly looked at the black community and and really judged them, misjudged them by the party that they support 91% of the time, 96% of the time in 2008. And so I wasn't asking the Lord to show me how to reach black folk. But now I realize that black Americans are the most pro-life of any ethnic group in America. They're the most pro-traditional marriage of any ethnic group in America. And they're the most for school prayer and the posting of the Ten Commandments, religious liberty, all those things. But I didn't know that in 1991 when I was praying that prayer. But uh, I met a man three years later that I could ask. It was a Hispanic guy from Virginia 
Jose Gonzalez, who was a professor at Regent University, and I asked him how do I reach Hispanics, and he starts talking to me about the Alamo. Now, I didn't live in San Antonio then, but I do now, the city of the Alamo. And for your listeners that may not know, it was the battle of independence for uh, Texas becoming free from Mexico. And what Jose said was, depending on your perspective, the same historical event can either be a cause for rejoicing or a cause for weeping, grief and pain. There were Hispanics inside the Alamo called Tejanos, Mm-hmm. And there were Hispanics who were the Mexican army on the outside. So depending on your perspective, are you a Texan fighting for freedom? Are you a part of the Mexican army? You can rejoice over Texas independence or weep over the loss of land, the loss of life, and that an entire ethnic group can be wounded and pass its pain down from one generation to another. And as I heard Jose talking about that, my grandfather's clan activity slammed on my spirit. Now, that happened when my dad was a preschooler in Oklahoma in the early 1920s. They moved to Texas when my dad was six in 1924. So my grandfather had long been gone for several years when God dealt with me about his racism. You know, his was overt. Now I've read books, I've seen documentaries, I know the Ku Klux Klan was a terrorist organization that terrorized families, that lynched people. In fact, when I began to learn, it actually was a terrorist arm of the Democratic Party. My grandfather was a Democrat, my dad was a Democrat, I was a Democrat, I voted for Jimmy Carter against Ronald Reagan. I lived in a Democratic state. Texas was a democratic state at that time. And mm. I didn't even think about doing anything except voting for Democrats until 1984 when I looked at values for the first time. So uh, when God began to break my heart and I was listening to Jose, it was like the weight of that sin of my grandfather and really of our nation just pounded on my chest. And I I called my boss who lived in the Dallas area uh, for Christian Coalition. He came over and he and three ladies and I got on our knees in the lobby of the Harvey Hotel and asked God to forgive us, not for overt racism like my grandfather had, but for the unconscious kind, like I had. When I judged the black community for their values, not knowing anyone there, and judge them on the party that they support. For the for the insensitivity that we're not touched with the pain of other folks. We're not touched with the condition of someone else besides our immediate family. And God really, really broke my heart that day. Well, I I appreciate you sharing that honesty and that, that openness about that. And you bring up some some very good points. Uh, uh, when you mentioned about uh, the black community and uh, shared family values uh, value system, um, now there are those of us who are conservative and black 
uh, which sounds like an oxymoron to a lot of uh, black black people. How can one be considered black, you know, or a black Republican? Uh, but that seems to be deteriorating. Uh, that was strong when I grew up. Uh, I was raised by my grandparents. My mother was killed when I was eight, uh, five years old. Um, so I was raised by my grandparents. And all the values that I have today, uh, I learned from my my grandparents who vote Democrat. You know, uh, no matter how conservative they are, they are very conservative, fiscally, socially, you name it, they are conservative. But they still vote Democrat. Um, and a lot of the per, you know clergy I, I was mentored by, again, those values that they taught me is what you know guide my. Uh, those principles guide my my life, my ministry, in every capacity. Yet, those persons still vote the same way, uh, irregardless of if the candidate or the party. Uh, as in this case of the last Democratic National Convention, where you know it was almost a blatant disrespect for those values. So I, I appreciate you, uh, will be your willingness to uh, uh, open up and, and be willing to. Repent and acknowledge that. The other thing is, um, oh, I just lost my train of thought because my puppy dropped, jumped in my lap. So let's let's move on. <laughs> Hello, are you there? Yes, yes, I'm here. Okay. Uh, so you mentioned that your grandfather was uh, a Ku Klux Klan, and um, yes, that it was the it was the terroristic arm, of the Democratic Party. Uh, since you've been converted, <laughs> if I could use that word, um, how have you attempted to um, integrate that that knowledge, that personal firsthand knowledge of the history of the Democrat? Because in your book you talk about, uh, in, in your book you talk about um, the hidden history of the black, you know, hidden black history. Uh, so can you yeah. expound on that a little bit? Yes, you know, it, it's amazing to me when you look at the two parties because the Democratic Party was the party of slavery. And uh, in the 1964 and 65 Civil Rights and Voting Rights Act in the, uh, in the U.S. Congress, not one single Southern Democrat voted in favor of either one of those. And Lyndon Baines Johnson was president, and he wanted to pass it, thank God for him. But he had to go to uh, Senator Dirksen, a Republican from Illinois, to get help to even get it through his own Democratic Judi Judiciary Committee. And a higher percentage of Republicans supported those two acts than Democrats. And when you, you know, we hear a lot today about Jim Crow and all those horrible regulations that were started in the South once blacks were freed after the Civil War, but they were all enacted by Democrats. It was Democratic governors who called out the dogs in Alabama, who stopped kids from going to school in the 1950s once the, um, the Howard versus Board of Education was enacted that these that opened up schools. It was it was all Democrats who didn't want black kids to go to white schools. And some of them in Texas even closed the schools so that blacks wouldn't go there. But it's amazing to me that the history is forgotten 
that now somehow the Democratic Party is the party of civil rights, which really historically it's not true. And um, and I think it's really sad. You know, neither whites or blacks know our history, but we need to know it because we're actually, it's damaging us today because we don't. Okay, now, uh, I, you know, I have a lot of listeners who, who are, you know, uh, diehard Democrats in it. And I, you know, I hope I'm understanding correctly. You're not saying that um, that the Democratic Party of today is more divisive or less uh, racially minded as uh, the Democratic Party of the past. Are, are you saying that uh, it's worse, better, or... Well, let oh. me tell you what I learned from my friend, Pastor C.L. Jackson, who is who is pastor of Pleasant Grove Missionary Baptist Church in Houston, a very a huge church. Pastor Jackson is a lifelong Democrat. He had had uh, Dr. King in his church, Rosalind Carter, wife of President Carter. He traveled to Nairobi, Kenya, with the pre- with President Clinton. So he's who's who in Democratic circles. And so one day I was talking to Pastor Jackson. I said, tell me about when you were a national delegate. And he said, I've never been a delegate. And I said, well, you've been a state delegate. And he was asked to pray at the Republican convention. That's how I met him, the state convention, because he was a friend of Governor Perry's. And uh, at the prayer rally that I hosted, he, he was touched because we repented for racism. And when it came time for him to pray in the big convention, he changed parties. He said, I came into this party a Democrat, but I'm leaving a Republican because God is in this place. But I had wrongly thought that because he voted Democrat and he mobilized his church to be Democrats, that he was a part of the party process. But I found out that was not true, and that he had never been to a convention. He had never been elected as a convention delegate, he'd never even been to a precinct convention, which happens on the night of the election in Texas. If you vote in the Democratic primary, there's a meeting back at your polling place called a precinct convention. Same is true of Republicans. And that begins the convention process of how you get elected as a delegate, how the platform is chosen, and how the party leadership is chosen. And what I found out from Pastor Jackson, and now I realize is true of most black folk, with the exception of those that are in labor unions, in teacher unions, or in um, that are diehard uh, pro-abortion LGBT folk, which black the black community is not, that most blacks vote a straight Democratic ticket, but they're not involved in the party process because if blacks were involved in the Democratic Party process, the same percentage that they vote a straight Democratic ticket, the the Democrat platform would not be pro-abortion through all nine months of pregnancy paid for with tax dollars, pro-same-sex marriage, and anti-religious liberty, which it is now. So... Um, I have found in my own uh, reality that most black pastors and most church folk, black church folk, are not involved in the Democratic Party. They just vote a straight Democratic ticket. 
Okay. I, I just want to make it clear to my listeners we're not endorsing any party or anything of that nature, uh, but just uh, clarifying uh, your history and background. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back from the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about your book, uh, how you talk about uh, bridging the racial and political divide, and uh, uh, talk a little bit more about uh, Dr. Um, uh, Pastor uh, Johnson's influence on you, uh, Jackson's influence on you, and um, – uh, you, a couple other things we're, we're talking about. Mostly, I, I, there's um, some things that I want to talk about with regarding uh, the um, the structure, uh, the revelation of structure, and uh, that you talk about in your book and healing hearts in the political arena. So we're gonna we're gonna that's what I we'd like to talk about when we get back on the side of this break. Is that okay? That'll be great. All right, so we'll take a break, and when we come back, that's what we'll be talking about. Be right back. best tourism season in years. All because so many people wanted to visit us in Louisiana. They came to see us in Florida. Nice try. They came to hang out with us in Alabama. Once folks heard Mississippi had the welcome sign off, they couldn't wait to get here. This year was great, but next year is going to be even better. And anyone who knows the golf knows that winter is prime time fun time. Fun's out. The water's beautiful. You can go deep sea fishing for amberjack, grouper, and mackerel. Our golf courses are open. Our bed and breakfast have special rates. And migrating waterfowl from all over make this a bird watcher's paradise. So if you missed it earlier this year, come on down. If you've already been here, come on back to Mississippi, Florida, Louisiana, Alabama. The Gulf's America's getaway spot, no matter where you go. So come on down and help make 2012 an even better year for tourism on the Gulf. Brought to you by BP and all of us who call the Gulf home. Good morning, freedom. Hello, adventure. Today is yours. To find your can-do spirit, your will-do strength. To chart new paths and rediscover old ones. Capability has found its versatility. Making all days and all terrains equal. Go ahead. Raise your hands. Lower your foot. Make pursuit of the unexpected unrelenting. Today is yours to go find your power. And where you'll find it is within. Those of you who've listened to my show uh, realize that 
uh, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, my computer crashed on me, and I had lost just, I thought I lost just about everything on my computer, all my important files and documents. But then I remembered that I had security. I had my files backed up automatically by Carbonite.com. Now, here's the good thing about Carbonite.com. They have the same encrypted technology that is used uh, for security, uh, e-commerce, transactions, all that stuff. They got it, right? And then they house it in state-of-art data centers that's guarded 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I wasn't worried because I knew my files were automatically backed up. And here's the good thing. I, I didn't have to worry about retrieving them either because I could access my files from any computer anywhere in the world. So if, if, if you, you feel like you're going to lose your stuff, I recommend Carbonite.com because that's the place to go. You don't have to worry about the cost either because they have a price for every budget you can imagine. Not only that, but if you go through that site today, you could get a 15-day free trial right now if you go in today. That's Carbonite.com for all your online backing needs. All they do is back up your files online. They don't do anything else. You can be guaranteed that all of your important documents, everything that you love on your computer will be safe and secure Check them out today at Carbonite.com for your online backup. Welcome back to Zero Today. Again, this is your host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal. I'm glad to have a wonderful guest with me today on the show, Ms. Allison Pat- Alice Patterson. She's the author of uh, Bridging the Divide, uh, Bridging the Racial and Political Divide, How Godly Politics Can Transform a Nation. And she's the founder of Justice at the Gate, a Minister of Reconciliation, Restoration, and Empowerment in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, the last, uh, right before the break, we were talking about um, well, well, we were all over the place, <laughs> but she gave a little more about her back. She gave a little bit about her background and um, uh, her coming to reconciliation with um, her understanding of black values and the role they played in their voting and in all that area. But uh, glad to have you again, on Alice. Um, now, getting to your book, uh, your book is w- wonderful written. I, I like the way it's it's, it's, uh, it's written. But you have a section here that deals with um, uh, what you call the revelation, and you deal with evil structures, and you you list uh, the Saul structure, Jezebel structure, Ahab structure, and um, what's the other one? Hold on, let me turn. To, um, that's it. What? That that's was it. it. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, can you talk a little bit of? Uh, Go ahead, explain a little bit about what you mean by the structure um, and unholy structures and um, uh, that particular yes. part of the book. Help us get yes. a better understanding. Yes, and let me just clear up one thing before I do, because I know I've been sounding like I've been bashing Democrats. You ask what I do. One of the things I do is to educate on how the two parties work and how to get engaged in the process. So... If black folk who are Democrats would engage in the party process, then their party would not have values against what they have. So I train how the the political 
process works and invite them to take their faith and values there. So I want to make that clear. When Back to your question about the two-party structures, about what God showed me, I was in Louisiana and heard a speaker, Chuck Pierce, talk about soft structures. And he said, let God show you soft structures in your life and how to dismantle them. That's S-A-U-L, like King Saul. But when he was describing them, I thought, oh, my God, he's describing the Democratic Party. And when he sat down, I told him, I said, you are describing the Democratic Party. And so I began to just be, I I couldn't get away from it because I've been in politics, but I didn't ever think about a demonic structure holding up anything governmental. So I began to study about Jezebel and Ahab. And one thing that Queen Jezebel did in Israel, she was she was the daughter of um, a pagan king, and Ahab married her against God's word. He said not to marry pagans because his he didn't want the Israelites' hearts turned from God. And he knew if they married pagan wives, they would be. Had nothing to do about race, had everything to do about faith. And what she did was she invited the prophets of Baal and Asherah to dine at her table. And when she did that, because she was queen, she gave these prophets of Baal that had been in in Israel for, for centuries. It wasn't anything new but she gave them governmental authority. So they became a governmental structure. And see, Baal worship, they they sacrificed their children to Baal. Asher was, was the other one. They had male and female prostitutes in the temple. Uh-huh. Right. And then it was false worship. Those were the three main things. And uh, that is what the Democratic Party does. They are the structure in America that that approves of the shedding of innocent blood, abortion, same-sex marriage, and even false worship. You know, I know this is a touchy subject, but if we depend on man, then we're not depending on God. And if we depend on government, we're not depending on God. And, you know, I ask people, what do you have when you have government housing, you have age-dependent children, you have welfare, you have food stamps? What do you have? You have poverty. That's what you have. And you have generational poverty. And and people who look at government as compassionate can look and see that people are in generational poverty. It's true. It's not just people of color. There are white people that are in generational poverty because of these programs where when the church gives, they give life. They give help, and we should. We're told to do that, but there's life that comes with it. There's restoration that comes with it, and there's not poverty that comes with it. So there, there is the Democratic Party that is... God has showed me is the Jezebel structure with all those things, the shedding of innocent blood, same-sex marriage, and uh, worship, false worship. On the Ahab side is the Republican Party. Many times the party platform is wonderful. It's pro-life. It's pro-traditional marriage, all those things. But many times on the 
on the Republican side, there is an acquiescence. See, King Ahab was the king. It was really his authority. But Jezebel used it, and um, and then he led her. It was the same as in the Garden of Eden. Eve is the one who sinned, but Adam led her. And so by by Ahab's acquiescing to Jezebel and letting her wrongly use his authority, then he actually approved of what she did. And that's many times what what uh, Republicans do. You know, Governor George Bush was the first governor who ever appointed a homosexual to a high office. And he appointed a homosexual over the AIDS uh, aspect in his government. He went into, he was the first president to ever have invite Muslims in the White House for Ramadan. He went into a Japanese shrine, took his his shoes off and bowed before it. He said that that Islam was a peaceful religion and all those things. He was being an Ahab when he did that. And many times, not all times, just like not every Democrat is pro-abortion. On the local level, you can find you can still find pro-life ones, but when they go up the ladder, then Jesse Jackson used to be pro-life until he ran for president, and then he had to have a pro-abortion stance because he could not get support from the Democratic Party. On the local level, you'll find pro-life Democrats, but on the national level, you will not. It's very rare to find one. There, uh, Bob Casey from Pennsylvania is one, but they're rare. And there are there are Republicans who are strong and stand for what's right, but there are many of them who have the right values but are weak, and they become Ahabs and they acquiesce because they don't want to be called homophobic, or racist, or uncaring, and so they crash and they give in to the Jezebel structure and become Ahabs and acquiesce and actually approve things that they don't agree with because they don't have the backbone to stand. And gratefully, it's not true across the board of either party, but it is true of some in both parties. Well, I'm so glad that you brought that up because there are several persons, if not all my audience, a vast majority of my audience are, you know, they do vote um, democratically, not straight democratic ticket, but they do, uh, they are uh, some, uh, I I don't want to use the word loyal, but they, you know that is their party that they usually go for. Um, and so you're, you're saying, and I'm also glad that you brought out the fact that at the local level, it's, it's not the same as the national level, and um, that's so that's so true on both uh, uh, both both parties. Um, you have the more strong evangelical right wing of the Republican Party as much as you have the uh more conserv uh less conservative uh moderate uh side of the Republican Party. Um uh, so Great. how does that that structure, those structures that those structures influence uh race and the racial rhetoric that's being spewed now because I'm I'm one of those who believe um 
this is not substantiated by any research in particular, that uh, the racial tension has become a lot greater uh, since President Obama uh, than at any other time in history. And, and by you being a white female, would you agree with that statement or disagree uh, with that statement? And if so, why? Well, I don't know if it's true of any time in history, but I do know that our our nation is divided, and 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 there are hurtful things that are being said from both sides, and so much of it is said in ignorance, and some of it is not said in ignorance. But if I could just, uh, I know we're just about out of time. Would you mind if I just pray a prayer of repentance on behalf of? A white person? Is are are we just about out of time, Pastor? No, no, we got plenty of time. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay. Well, I, I want to do that anyway. Can I just do it right here? <laughs> sure, sure. Go because right you know, I know that um, that that some of your audience may not have ever heard a white person say that they realize that there is that there is racism in America. It's not just a historical thing. It's not just but it's a today thing. I remember uh, recent, not too many years ago, I was working in Odessa where we lived for several years, and we were praying across racial lines with pastors. And one of our favorite pastors was Pastor George Garnett at uh, King Solomon Missionary Baptist Church in, in Odessa. So one morning, we just, my husband and I decided we would go to that church. Mm-hmm. And uh, Pastor Garnett loved us, and we loved him, and we were just going to surprise him and show up. And there were le- these little girls playing in the front yard, and they were probably, oh, four to eight years old. And they were having a good time, and they were holding hands, and they were going like ring around the rosy, and they were laughing until they saw us. And they, they immediately got quiet, clumped together, and looked down at the ground. And um, and that told me that they were afraid of white people. And this was not many years ago. This was in recent history. But there is pain and there is racism, and we look at each other through judgmental eyes. So I just want to repent on behalf of my grandfather, who was an overt racist, myself and others like me, who are unconscious racists. And Father, in Jesus' name, I just I lift every person at the sound of my voice to you. And I ask you to forgive me and those like me, Lord. My grandfather, I don't know if he lynched anyone or not, but I know that organization that he was with did. And Lord, there is blood on our hands and there is blood in our hearts. There's hatred, Lord, and there's misunderstanding and there's insensitivity. So I ask you to forgive me on behalf of every white person who has ever injured anyone through their family. I know many grandfathers talk about their pain to their children and their grandchildren. And, Lord, I just ask that you would heal our nation. I ask that you would heal the wounds of our nation. I ask that you would heal families and you would set us free from the divisions. Even as Pastor Neil said today, with the first black president in America, Lord, our nation is still divided. We pray for President Barack Obama. We ask for your grace for him. We ask for your wisdom for him. We ask, Father, that he would be what he campaigned to be, 
a unifier, someone that would bring the country together. And, Father, we pray for this election that that, that people would vote our faith and our values, Lord, and not our history. I ask you to heal the wounds. I ask you to heal the hurts. And I ask you to set us free to love each other the way you love us. The prayer that you prayed, Lord, that we would be one as you and the Father are one, that the world would know that that you sent Jesus to be the Savior of the world. We pray that in Jesus' name. Thank you for Pastor Neil. Thank you, Lord, for the work that he's doing. Thank you, Father, for his courage and for his heart. And, Lord, thank you for every listener in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> I'm the only one playing on, praying on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that was weighing on me, so I wanted to get I wanted to get it done before we were out of time. Ah, that's no problem. I'm just having a little fun. Uh, but uh, you brought up two interesting things. Uh, well, one in one particular. Uh, I don't believe many people believe that they are unconsciously racist, and I don't even like using the term anymore because it's just been thrown around far too much uh, lately. I've been called a racist. Uh, for some of my uh, more conservative views, uh, you know, I'm my uncle. <laughs> I'm, I've been right. called Uncle Tom. You, you know, the funny names they like to call people of color who don't fall in line with the general um, ideal that they are said we're supposed to believe and adhere to. Now, right. I, I don't, I, I don't endorse. Uh, I, I don't endorse. Uh, parties or candidates, but I do endorse issues. I mean, I do discuss issues uh, both from a biblical uh, uh, perspective as well as from a values perspective. And I vote uh, uh, the candidate that greater appears to share my values, <laughs> uh, because some can be completely deceitful when running for election, and after they get elected, you know, that's uh, true. Th- those those values seem to disappear, but. Um, um, you talk about in your book one of the things you talk about with um, again in, in the structures um, um, false worship for economic increase. Um, yes. Um, and from your perspective, how does this affect rates? What what roles does this this false sense of Security, uh, particularly now, even more now, uh, since Romney made his fatal remarks <laughs> over uh, this last weekend about forty-seven percent. Um, what does does it come across as? Um, blacks, in particular, have a greater, from your perspective, greater sense of dependency uh, now on on the government than, uh, say, forty, fifty years ago. Well, I don't know about 40, 50 years ago, but I know that after slavery, there were more uh, families intact, husband and wife and children, than there are today. And that is really amazing because, you know, um, that in, in slavery, families were split apart. And, um, and, but even after the Civil War, there were more families intact. And I really do believe 
that the beginning problem of it was government. I know that this has been changed. I think it was in 1995 when when they changed the rules that you can now be married and receive um, welfare or aid to dependent children. But there was a time in our nation beginning in, I believe it was under um, Roosevelt and then heightened under President Clinton, the Great Society, the War on Poverty, where you could not receive any aid if you were married. And so the more kids that you have, and this is not just a race thing, but the more children you had out of wedlock, the more money you could get. And so there was a premium paid on having children out of wedlock. But now in 1995, that was changed, so now you can be married and receive it. But the idea and what happened was not true. So used to, before these things happened, if someone got pregnant, they stayed in their parents' home, and they were cared for by their parents. But now it's like a ticket to freedom, and it's what our government has done. And I believe part of that is government policies that trumps our values, and that's what's happened because we value giving to the poor, and we should. The Word of God tells us to. We have we value the wrong thing, and I know this is this is a hard thing, but it is what the Scripture says. That it says in, um, and I don't have the scripture right in front of me, but it talks about a widow who is a widow indeed. And it talks about someone who is married and their husband dies. Is the church supposed to be responsible? And it says, no, not until she's 60 years old is the church to care for a widow who is a widow indeed. So that means, because it said that, the younger women will be wanton and they'll go out and they'll be busybodies. But the church is not to care for someone who is under 60 years old. So what about the government? When the government does that, we reward behavior that that is against the word of God. And uh, what we have to do, I believe, as a Christian is... The Word of God has got to be our standard, not government, not what government does. Government should be subservient to the Word of God, but it is not today. Oh, okay. I I, I understand that. I I, I think that's only reasonable, um, considering that some some people are and and Jesus Himself said the pool you have with with you always anyway. So, um, but. Having said that, what role does what what role does tolerance um, play in this? You talk about tolerance and ver- tolerance right. is virtue. Uh, what role does that play in recognizing the the um, and, and, and um, how can I put how can I put this? Well, well, let me just leave it at that. What role does tolerance? Uh, Play in that in this structure, both the Ahab and the Jezebel structure, uh, where if one one party is equated to Ahab and one party is equated to uh, Jezebel, right? Well, the biggest uh, the biggest sin in America today is intolerance, 
you know, we can't be intolerant of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, LGBT. We can't be intolerant of Islamics. We can't be intolerant of uh, people, race, whatever. But when Jesus was talking to the church of Thyatira, he said, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel. So there are things that we should tolerate and there are things that we should not tolerate. But in our American system, it's like the worst sin in America is that you're intolerant unless you're intolerant towards Christians. And that's okay. (laughs) There's really a paradox in our country today. Oh, yeah, you should have made that right. Uh, I, I, I observed that all together. (laughs) <laughs> you can hate. That's true. There's, you can't hate anybody but you can't hate anybody but Christians. Right, and there's not too much tolerance for black conservatives, is there? Um, just like you said that you've been called names. If you start going against what everybody thinks that you should be, their preconditioned notion of what you should be, there is gross intolerance for that. Let's have a let me uh <laughs> um I'm not sure if you're familiar with this uh but uh, a few weeks ago uh, uh a rapper or whatever her name whatever she does a rapper singer uh Nicki Minaj I'm not no I'm not sure if you're familiar with her but No I'm not rap, Okay <laughs> well in a rap <laughs> in one of her raps she she said that she'd be voting for Mitt Romney okay wow. and <laughs> Now it was a rap lyric, you know. Uh, she was literally she received death threats, and mind you, she, you know, Nicki Minaj. As a matter of fact, you'll probably see her. She'll be a host on American Idol next year. Wow. Uh, next season. But anyway, she's a strange character. But she said she'd be voting in a rap. Said that she's voting for Mitt Romney, and it made enough. It got it gathered enough media attention that even President Obama had to respond to it. You know, <laughs> but she received death threats. Now, mind you, all her fans were, uh, you name it, they called it, called her. Well, Just did you know, and I'm, I'm sure you know this, and, and I don't remember if I've said it, but the, the Ku Klux Klan was the terrorist arm of the Democratic Party. And not only did they lynch black folk, over 3,000 black folk, they also lynched white folk. And the reason there were more blacks that were lynched than whites is that every black was a Republican. It was very rare to find a black Democrat. But for white folk, you had to be more knowledgeable because some were Democrats and some were Republicans. So they put out little cards the size of baseball cards that had the pictures of white Republicans on there because they were the – they were the the object of the Ku Klux Klan's terror. And I can tell you right now that there are still people in my family, not my dad. My dad became a Christian right before he went over seas in World War II. And then he came back. He started leading boys to the Lord. So he was a believer. But all of his brothers were not. And I have cousins today that are still Democrats and they're still racist. And uh, and I'm not saying all people are. I'm just saying that this is not ancient history we're talking about. This is today. This is life today. 
Yeah, and and most people, you know, most people have this this idea that uh, the Republican Party has always been uh, the party of white Southerners, uh, angry white Southern men, males, um, wealthy, angry white right. Southern males. <laughs> When really and, um, there are more I, rich in the Democratic Party than in the Republican, yes, the entertainers, the elite, the academia elite, the trial lawyers are Democrats, that, that, not that's Republicans. True. Yeah, that 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 is true. And I uh, I was having a discussion with this uh, with an individual about this very same thing not long ago uh, uh, that the. Those who are in the upper echelons, not of the working Democratic Party, uh, uh, you know, not those who uh, are officials, in it, but I'm talking about those, the faces of the Democratic Party. Uh, for example, uh, when a convention was going on, we had a great deal of actors and activists, uh, actors, musicians. They, I mean, it was a big party, literally, whereas, right. you know. They critiqued one famous actor, Clint Eastwood. I mean, they just dogged him after that. Um, he lost, you know, respect of millions of people. Um, right. He lost my respect. Huh? No, I'm a I'm a Republican. I'm not a Republican first. I'm a Christian first. Yes. And uh, I look at the individuals, how they vote, and and you know, I don't just pull the letter. I vote for the individuals. But when he said what he said and he did what he did, I just thought it was wrong, I and agree. he shouldn't have and he shouldn't have done it. So I I don't I think we need a brain. You know, we don't just need to close our eyes and blindly support either party. But we need to do research. We need to look at voting records. We need to look at issues. I remember in Texas in 2002 black mayor was running uh, the black mayor of dallas was running for u.s senate and they said texas is not ready for a black senator but on the same ballot there were four other blacks and they were all elected but they were all republicans we had michael williams on the railroad commission we mm -hmm. had two on the supreme court and um, in fact, the Chief Justice of the Texas Supreme Court is black. His name is Wallace Jefferson, and he's the grandson of a judge, and now uh, uh, of a, a slave owned by a judge. And now he presides over the highest court in the state of Texas. And they were, um, and there were four blacks that were elected that year on the statewide Republican ballot. But that was not reported by the media because it didn't fit into their uh, their diatribe against Republicans. But if you look today at at the Republican Party and who is being elected, then the Republican Party is is electing black folk, black conservatives, Alan West, Tim Scott, yeah. others. That are, but just like you, they pay the price for it with intolerance and hatred, and we just got to stop it, you know. Especially the body of Christ, we've we've just we've got to love each other. We've got to see each other as um, individuals, as created in the image of God, 
And we need to be working together, not saying all bad things about each other. Oh, and that's a, that's a very valid, excellent point. Um, in, in lieu of your your book here, you uh, let's go back to uh, Pastor Jackson and his influence on you. And you you spoke early of the fact that he you say that he went to a Republican meeting and went in as a Democrat and left out as a Republican. Um, how did his conversion uh, affect the black vote in, in Texas or his, his church? Do or, or, or Can you speak to that? You know, it made a huge difference because Governor Perry was running for re-election that year, and he was running against a Hispanic. So there was a Hispanic Democratic um, guy on the ballot, running against Tony Sanchez was his name. He was running against Governor Perry who was who was running for reelection. And uh in fact he well he was running for election the first time because he was lieutenant governor. He moved up under George, when George W went to uh, the president. So he moved up and this was the first time that he was being reelected. And uh when when president when Pastor Jackson changed parties in the middle of the convention because he had experienced the presence of God. He went back to Houston, and in Houston, the the Black uh, Baptist Association is not only a 501c3 tax-exempt organization, but they're a PAC. They can actually endorse candidates because the Black church is much more sophisticated politically than the white church are. Many white pastors are afraid to engage in the political arena. And black pastors have done it for centuries. I mean, for years, not centuries, but for decades. And they mobilize their church, Pastor Jackson. You know, they rent the buses. They have a a coordinator in in the Sunday school classes, in the choir. They are very sophisticated about politics. And and they went. He went back to Houston, and for the first time since um, probably they were even elected. Well, the civil rights era. They endorsed Governor Perry for a Republican for governor, and he got fourteen percent of the black vote in Texas, which is huge. You know. Um, Bob McDonnell in Virginia in 2009 got 16% of the black vote. And we just look historically at um, at the Democratic Party, and they get 91% of the black vote. In, in 2008, they got 90 per, 96% of the black vote. In California in 2008, when Senator Barack Obama was on the ballot, Ninety-eight percent of Black Californians voted for Barack Obama, but on the same ballot was Prop Eight, which said marriage was between one man and one woman, and seventy-seven percent of the Black vote was in favor of traditional marriage. If it hadn't been for the African American vote in California, the marriage amendment would not have passed there. Exactly. And what that tells me, Pastor Neal, is that when black folk in America, and even the most liberal state in the nation, which is California, when black folk look at values, 
still a very large percentage vote their values. The problem with the Democratic Party and voting for Democrats is they don't look at values. It's just history. It's just tradition. It's what we do, just like me. When I voted for Jimmy Carter against Ronald Reagan, I was voting my tradition. I was voting my family. My grandfather would have turned over in his grave if he knew I ever voted for a Republican. And my dad said, my dad died a Democrat in in 2005 at the age of 88. And he said, I can't figure out how I raised three Republicans. And I said, Dad, it's because you raised us with your values and the parties have changed. Not until 1976 was there a difference in the two parties in abortion. It was after Roe v. Wade in 1973 that in 1976 the Republican Party said that they were uh, pro-life and the Democratic Party said that they supported Roe v. Wade. And in, in their lifetime, in the early 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, there was no difference in moral values in the two parties. There was difference in slavery and in race, but there was no difference in the moral values. And when prayer was taken out of the schools, the Republican Party said they supported school prayer. The Democratic Party is silent on that. And this year, for the first time, although the Democratic Party has supported equal rights for homosexuals, they never said until this year that they supported same-sex marriage, but this year it's in their platform because President um, Obama came out and said he supported same-sex marriage. And I believe that that decision, Pastor Neal, is causing black folk in America to come to a point where they're being confronted with the party that they have supported all this time, historically first black president in America, which is huge. It's huge. And the fact that what the party they love and support is against their values, and so they're at a crossroads and they're having to make a decision. And I think it's a very hard place for many black Americans today. Well, I could tell you from experience as a pastor of uh, <laughs> a black congregation, of course, and uh, and and my communion, my faith communion, African Methodist Episcopal Church, we have been the for, on the forefront of social and civil rights since uh, uh, the 1700s, uh, 1787. Yes. And, 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 and I've Richard Allen. That's correct. And I've fallen into that, and, and, you know, where where some conservatives are social conservatives. I'm, I'm, I'm not as social. I'm not, not as much as a social conservative because I'm actually in the field and see where some things are are not as critical as they make it out to be. But uh, yes, I'm, I'm finding that a lot of my 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 constituents my uh, are finding it rather difficult. They they want to be supportive. They want to, uh, and matter of fact, they are staunchly supportive of the of the president. Um, right. But they're finding uh, the party to be rather. Um, Hard to deal with, but that's you know, we'll find out how it goes over the next four years. <laughs> what will happen? Well, listen, we're running out of time, and I really, I really appreciate the conversation, the dialogue, the insight, and information. Um, 
I think it's been very productive. Uh, for my listeners who want to get in touch with you, want to learn more about the, uh, your organization, and want to buy a copy of your book, or want to want to have you uh, as a guest or anything, how can they contact you? My number is two one zero six seven seven eight two one four. That's two ten six seventy seven eighty two fourteen. And they can email me at justice at the gate at AOL dot com, gate is singular, or they can go to our website website at justice at the gate dot org. They can get the book there, they can order it on Amazon. And um, it, I would love to talk with anyone because this is my heart. Okay. Do you have any upcoming events or uh, uh, product I mean, uh, events or anything that you are promoting? Or I like really to- don't. I'm actually in Missouri right now mobilizing churches to vote their values, and so I'll be here through the election. I don't have any events coming up, sadly. Okay. All right. And um, how can you help? Uh, how can my audience uh, do what you're encouraging those in uh, Missouri to do to vote their values? What are what are some concrete things that they could do? And they can uh, they can look on. They're not up there right now, but they can look on iVoterGuide.com and uh, closer to the election, probably after October 25th. They'll just go on that website, type in their address, and it'll bring up, um, especially Congress and up, and and their voting records, how they voted, who they have endorsed, who has endorsed them, and they'll see actually the voting record, and then they should vote their values. That's that's what I encourage people to do, to really study and see what uh, what elected officials and candidates uh, stand for. And on the local level, level, they should just show up when candidates are in town. It's amazing that the candidates of both political parties are the most open to people when they're running for office. So show up at a campaign headquarters. When, when somebody's in town, show up and meet them and ask them questions and find out for yourself what they believe. And then I encourage everyone to vote their values. All right, great. Well, we're running out of time. This has been another good addition. Thank you, uh, uh, for Ms. Patterson, for being on uh, the show. We appreciate you, Alice. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And next time we're back here, we invite you to join us again on Zero Today. However you join us, whenever you join us, we're just glad that you join us. This is Pastor Lorenzo and and thank you for joining. God bless you.